Good morning, church. Reading from James 1, 2 through 11. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and, in the, ri and the rich in his humiliation, because, of, because like a flower of grass he will pass away. For the sun rises and it scorches heat and weathers the grass. The flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much, Irene. Would you join me in prayer this morning as we start our time together? Father, uh, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much that we got to worship you this morning uh, in this place together. Lord, thank you so much for um, Brygen and his decision to want to be baptized and make that confession to your church um, and just the encouragement that that is, at least I know from my own heart. Uh, Father, thank you so much that we have your word. And now as we look to your word, Lord, I pray that you would give me um, your words to speak, that you would fill me with your spirit, that, Lord, that the, that the things that are about to be shared, they're not mine. Like, they're not my words, but they're yours. And then as such, Lord, I pray that you would use them um, by your spirit in each person in this room. Lord, you've brought each person in this room. Like, you know each person in this room. You know their struggles uh, their joys, you know where they are in their life, you know where they are in their walk with you, whether they're feeling weary or discouraged or, or, or they're doing great. Lord, you know each one and your spirit can work in each of us as um, only he knows how. And so um, we invite him into the space, we invite you into the space and into our lives. Lord, may we always be submitted to your word. Um, so Lord, be with us, give us your favor, guide us, lead us, direct us, in the next few moments, we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. All right, so we get to uh, this text in James. We start in James. Last week, we had kind of the, our intro. We were talking about this road to completion that, that ultimately we want to be on. And this week, we're going to talk about that road to completion through kind of external trials that come to us. Because right at the beginning of this book, um, a fantastic statement is given to us that says, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Like, how many of you hope that when you meet trials, you can count them joy? Well, I hope you hope that. I guess the next question would be, how many, when you've felt those trials and you've experienced those trials, could actually say that you were joyful in the midst of them? Like, that's, that's the epitome of easier said than done, isn't it? And listen, this isn't just a Christian ideal. This isn't just something that's in, in Christian circles. Our entire culture has even these... Um, fun, quaint little sayings that we're all aware of that kind of take this idea of when suffering comes, there's something good to be found in it. Like, for example, um, when life gives you lemons, make, right? Every cloud has a silver. May showers bring, wait, May showers bring April flower. Wow, you know that one. So I know you know my months, right? 
So, so we get these, and then the best one is all, all, all things happen for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. And we love those statements, and we love those things, and we love to quote them. We hate them when they're quoted to us when we're in the midst of trial, right? Like when something bad happens in your life and someone comes to you and says, you know what, when life hands you lemons, I just make lemonade. Like you know you want to punch them. That's the reality of it. Like we, we don't want to hear those statements in those moments. And yet the question is, is there truth to that reality? Because when we see that, even when someone's trying to help, we know that that's a hard thing for us to grasp. And it's a hard thing for us to truly live in and walk in because, man, those trials, and you all know them, you can think of them in your minds, like they are legitimately and genuinely just hard. They're just, they're just hard. And James starts this amazing letter off with this understanding that, that you and I will face trials. We will face trials of various kinds. Everyone here has met them. If you have not met them yet, you're just too young. But you will. So he says, I've said these things that in you, this is what Jesus says as well. I've said these things to you that in me, you will have peace. In the world, you will also have tribulation. Take heart, or I have overcome the world. So Jesus agrees with James. Now, he uses a different word. He uses tribulation in this text, but he agrees with James that trials and, and difficulty and tribulation, they're going to be a part of all, our, all of our lives for the non-believer and for the believer. They're going to be, and they're going to be difficult, and they're going to put strain on you in all kinds of ways. Now, as we think about this and we talk about this moment and we look at this in Scripture, it is so important for us to understand that Scripture never tells us to try to avoid those trials, right? In fact, most of the stories in the Old Testament include those trials at various kinds, but it also never tells us to seek those trials, right? So we can't do either. Like, you can't live a life trying to avoid trials all the time, and we can't live a life trying to find and to seek out trials because while we know the Lord is good and he works in them, like, we don't want them right? We don't want them. But the Lord is simply reminding, he's simply acknowledging this reality. Afflictions and tests are there. They're in our lives, every one of them. Some of these afflictions are external things that happen to us. And that's what we're going to talk about this week, right? So there's external afflictions, there's external trials that come to us, and then there's also internal trials that we deal with, which we're going to talk about next week. But when we talk about external trials, like there's all kinds of those. So those are things like, like sin and the consequences of sin. So when someone else sins against you, for example, when someone hurts you or wounds you, that's an external trial. When they betray you, when something negative um, from, because of sin happens, like that is an external trial. Sometimes it's the consequences of our own sin, right? Like trials come, not because God's smiting us, but because of the consequences of what you've done. So if you smoke for 13, whatever, I don't know, years and years and years, and then you get lung cancer, that's not necessarily God smiting you. It may just because you smoked, right? And that's a consequence, and that's a still a trial. But there's also trials that come just because we live in a broken world. Like we just live in a messy, broken, hard world where there's hurricanes and there's COVID 
and there's all kinds of other things. Like external trials are all around us. They're a part of our lives. And whether you're a, uh, a non-believer or a believer, they're there. But, and this is an important thing, for the believer, we know this. Afflictions and tests are purposeful. Now, if you're in trial right now, I know that statement doesn't help you much. I, I get it. But nonetheless, that's what James is telling us. In fact, James is telling us if we want steadfastness and if we want to be complete and if we want to be the kind of people that lack nothing, as James is, is telling us there in the first section of James, then this is going to come through a variety of means, but oftentimes it's going to come through trial. In fact, we said this last week. This is one of the primary ways that God shapes us and the way that he builds us into the creation that he is making for us. And this is all around us. This isn't unique to just Christians. Like, this is built into our very creation, right? So consider muscles. Not that I'm clearly an expert in that, but if you want your body to change from point A to point B, if you want to go from not muscular to muscular, is that an easy process? No, no, You're, you have to put your body through affliction. You have to cause pain to your muscles. You have to stretch them. You have to push them. You have to make them hurt. You have to do all kinds of other things like get up early instead of sleep in late. And um, instead of eating the entire bag of Tostitos when the Kansas City Chiefs destroy the Detroit Lions on opening night of the NFL, right? right? You have to say no to yourself. Like, there's affliction you have to do to create change in your body. And that's not just with our bodies in terms of our muscles, but, but think of it in terms of um, your kids, Right? We want our kids to be healthy. And so here's the thing. If you put your child into a bubble that protects them from every virus and every bacteria until they're 20, and then you unzip that bubble, their immune system will collapse. Like, I think there's a real reason why God put it in kids to stick everything in their mouth. Right? I remember the time, and my daughter's going to be embarrassed about this, but I remember the time looking in the backseat of the car, and my daughter was licking the bottom of her shoe. And I'm thinking, no, like that's bad. But nonetheless, right, like that's how we build our immune system. This is the whole point of a vaccine, right? Like you, you intentionally stress your system so that your body can fight off whatever it is that you're trying to fight off. And it's not even just in our bodies in that way. We, we look at industries, and there's certain industries that become stronger because of failure. You never want the failure, but think of the airline industry. Every time a plane crashes, the industry gets better, safer, more controlled, more redundancies. You never want those failures, but it makes it stronger. So this reality is all around us. God has built it into creation so that we understand that while we don't seek out trials, they're there for a reason. And again, as we said last week, change comes through trial. And if we resist this idea, or we try to proclaim a gospel that does not have trial and testing in it, or says that trial and testing is something God's trying to remove from us, listen, it's not the gospel of Jesus because he has not promised to keep us from trial. He's promised to form us in it. He's promised to conform us to the likeness of Jesus through it. He's promised to bring glory to himself through it. Even for non-believers, this is true. Isn't it? Even if you don't know Jesus, trial 
changes you. This is the way it is. Everyone in this room is who they are, not all because of the good things in your life, but oftentimes because of the bad things in your life, the difficult things in your life, the experiences in your life. So here's what I want to, I want to illustrate this. I want to invite Todd and I want Brandon. You guys come up because I, I want you to see how this works out because we, we oftentimes don't pay attention to this reality when we see people or walk with people or even in our own lives, we don't recognize how things affect our own lives. So, all right, so we, we got Todd. If you don't know, Todd is our pastor of family life and Brandon is our youth pastor. So if um, you can clap for them. Now y'all clap for me when I come on stage, but whatever. All right, so, so here's the thing. So if, if Todd and Brandon don't know each other, right, and they meet each other for the first time, and, and just look at that, they're meeting each other for the first time, and Brandon gets to know Todd, and he sees this guy who's like successful, and he's smart, and man, he's driven, um, he, he's a great at business, and he's great at all these different things, but man, he, Todd's a little, he's a little distant personally, like he's hard to get to know, uh, a little emotionally detached, uh, right? I, so see, like, he turns back on me. This is not true of Todd. But, but you, you think, Brandon's going to think all kinds of things about Todd, but what he doesn't see is all the stuff that is behind Todd that made him that way, right? That helped build him to be that kind of a person. We don't get to see um, maybe someone who never felt like he was ever going to be good enough in school and, or felt like he failed all the time, and so that made him be a driven person. We don't see uh, that, that maybe he was wounded by somebody when he was young in such a way that, that made him build up walls to where he's not really comfortable with people getting close, right? Like, we just make assumptions. And, and we just believe, like, that, that's just who he is. And, and listen, I'm not saying that he's not responsible for his decisions because we are not only formed by um, our experiences, but we're also formed by who God has made us to be, Right? And so, again, if Todd meets Brandon, and as he gets to know Brandon, he sees that Brandon um, is a dysfunctional, poor meth addict who can't hold a job down. Right? You ever met one of those? I, I, no, Brandon's not really addicted to meth. Just make sure everybody knows, right? But, but if you meet Brandon in that, like, we need to understand that behind Brandon, there's all kinds of other stuff, Right? Like Brandon may have been in a horribly dysfunctional home, and so drugs and alcohol was the way he escaped into that. Um, maybe he, he didn't have an example of anybody at home to help him understand what good work ethic was. Like, but you see my point that when you meet somebody, they are the shape of not just the person that, that they want to be, but they're the shape of, who, um, that they, the, of their experiences, right? You guys can go down. Yeah, so. You, you, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you want to preach, you jump on in. But, um, so, so in this point, when we look at these, when we look at these experiences, when we look at these moments, they've been shaped in a, in a very, very, very unique way. And what happens and what the danger is for us, especially if we don't have Jesus, is when you have those experiences in your life, what is it that shapes you? It's your own deceptive heart. Right? Like it's your own deceptive heart that takes those things and creates a narrative in your life. It's the world in which you live. It's the culture in which you live. It's the worldview that you might hold to that begins to take those experiences and then start to shape you and make you into ultimately something that maybe, maybe you were never intended to be. Like these things that we experience in our lives, they have impact on us. Like they change us 
in some unbelievably unique ways. Sometimes we're aware of it. More often than not, we're not. Especially if those things happen to us when we're kids, we're oftentimes not aware of it. In fact, we might start to go, man, like, why, why am I the way that I am? Why are relationships so difficult for me? Like, why are they so hard? Why do I have so much challenge trusting people? Why do I have so much challenge trusting in God, for example? And sometimes we don't even know. And some of us in this space, you've had decades of things happen to you from outside of you that have changed the way you see yourself, the way you see the world in which you live, the way you see God. But the beauty of James is this, and this is the hope that he gives us. And it's something that separates the believer from the non-believer, right? The beauty of James is that God, the living one who knows you, the one who made you, the one who has a vision for your life, who has, a, has the power uh, to redeem you, like he can come in and take all that junk and all that difficulty and he can make something beautiful. He can make something wonderful from it. And that's the reality of it. He wants to make us complete. He wants to make us perfect. He wants us to lack nothing in our lives. He wants to form us to be in the likeness of Jesus instead of letting those trials deform us. My guess is you've seen people, even in yourself, you know the tendency to be deformed by the challenges and trials in your life, especially the ones prior to Jesus. I love what Richard Plass says in a fantastic book called The Relational Soul. He says that this is the desire that God has. God is out to change our capacity to love and be loved. To love other peoples and to receive love from other peoples. To love God and to receive love from God. Like Sometimes we need change to happen in us because the things that have happened in our lives make that really hard. It makes it really hard to love people because of the things that have happened. It makes it really hard for us to be loved or to receive love from other people because of the trials that we've walked through. And this change can only happen through faith in Jesus. So the goal, as we walk through today, is not to look at individual trials. Like, there's no way in the world I can address every trial that we all will walk through. Here, here's the thing. There's various kinds of them. There's various trials. But the goal is to give us hope that there is one who can change and redeem all of those trials. The one who can get us to the place where we can actually count those trials as joy. And brothers and sisters, not just the ones that are to come, not just the ones that you're experiencing now, our God is the only one who has the power to go into your past and redeem the ones that have already happened. Like, that's a beautiful thing. And James is giving us that hope. So how does this happen? How does this take place in the life of a believer that casts their faith and trust into Jesus? Well, there's three things. And the first one is this, that we are to seek wisdom. So remember what James says. We're to count it joy when trial comes, but he knows like that's not a natural thing for us because every single time trial comes to us, more often than not, we tend to do the first thing, which is this. Why? Why me? Why not them? Why is this happening to me? Like, like, how could this happen to me? Like, that's our first question. I mean, think about the book of Job. I mean, most of the book is Job and his three friends trying to figure out why Job lost everything. 
And they all had their opinions. But they didn't realize that they lacked wisdom. They lacked wisdom that God only had. So as I illustrate this, let me, let me give you a story in the Old Testament. And you can go read this story. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And, and so this is the story of David and Nabal. And so if you know at this point in David's life and his history, like David had been anointed king and was working in Saul's household until Saul became jealous and ultimately wanted to try to kill David. And so David went running and David was running and hiding in caves and he was hungry and he was thirsty and he never knew where he was going to be sleeping. He didn't know whether or not Saul was going to come after him and kill him. And so this is where David's at. And David is in a part of Israel that's owned by this man named Nabal. And Nabal is a rich man, and David and his men protect Nabal's stuff. His shepherds, his sheep, his people. Like David does the right thing. But David ultimately ends up going to Nabal, and he says, hey, hey, we're hungry, and we've protected your people, we've protected your shepherds, we've protected your sheep. You're better off because of us, because you've not lost anything. And so would you help feed my people? Would you help feed my men? And Nabal's response to him is like, who are you? Like, why would I give my bread to you? And so just put yourself in David's situation. David is experiencing trial. He's trying to trust in the Lord. And he thinks, oh, maybe God has given me this opportunity to find help. And he goes to Nabal, and instead of finding help, Nabal turns on him and says no. So I'm sure to David it felt like, man, like just more loss? Like, when is something going to ever turn? And so David doesn't do what he should do. Maybe that's because his friend Samuel the prophet, who he used to go to for wisdom, died at the beginning of this chapter. But he doesn't do what he should do and go to the Lord for wisdom. He reacts. And he gets angry. So he gets his men to go kill Nabal. And and then his wife, um, Nabal's wife, Abigail, stops David. And says, listen, vengeance is the Lord's. And David stops. David recognizes it. God uses Abigail to remind David that the Lord is the one that he should trust in. And what we find in the story is 10 days later, Nabal dies. Now, we're going to see how this changes David as we go on, but here's the thing. David lacked wisdom. He didn't know what was going on. He didn't know what was happening. Everything around him just felt like loss. Have you ever been there? And it's just like everything around me feels like loss. So every time I turn around, it's just more loss. But here's what James says. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it be given to you. Now, now so often, listen, millions of Christians take this verse out of context. Like you start to think that James is schizophrenic, that he goes from trials to then asking about wisdom and then rich and poor and then he's back to trials again. Like that's not what's happening here. James is understanding something. Like this is all in context of trial. And and what he's trying to help us see is that, man, like in this context of trial, um, just ask God for wisdom. This is not a blank check for you to be able to ask God for anything. As long as you have enough faith, he's just going to give it to you. That's not what it is. This is for those moments when you say, God, I don't get it. I I don't understand. Like, I just lost my job. And I did it in integrity. 
and I did it well. Like, what's going on? Like, I just got diagnosed with cancer. Why? I lived a healthy life. Like, I never smoked. I never drank. I ate those nasty Brussels sprouts. I went to the gym. Like, I did everything right. Like, why do I have cancer? Like, what's going on? When we face trials, we need to be reminded that when we don't know what's happening, when we lack wisdom, God is inviting us to say, come ask me. Come, Come ask me. Because in this context, in this very real moments of our lives, if you lack wisdom, like it's okay to lack wisdom. And God's not mad at you for coming to him and saying, like, I don't understand. And what are you trying to do? I don't understand how you're trying to shape me. I don't understand what's lacking in me. I don't understand, like, why this is happening. I don't see any lemonade. And I don't see any silver lining in this. It's just clouds. And I just feel like reacting. So in the midst of trial, we have to start by recognizing we don't know it all. We don't know any of it. We can't see beyond our own noses. We don't know what God is doing. We don't understand how things are happening. We we are limited in knowledge. We are limited in power. He is not. He knows it all. He sees it all. He's the one, as I already mentioned, can go back into our past and take things that were so hurtful and harmful to us and bring redemption to us, into our lives. Like this is the hope that Jesus gives to us. Here's my question. In the midst of trial, have you asked him for wisdom? Isn't our first reaction, take it away? Just take it away. I don't want it. It's painful. It hurts. I don't want this in my life. I don't want to remember that thing. Just take it away. Have you asked him for wisdom? Have you gone to him and said, Lord, I don't see. I don't see why my dad was allowed to do that to me. I don't see why that happened. I don't see why my mom left. I don't see why my friends said those hurtful things to me in high school. I don't understand it. What what are you trying to do? Like, how is this ultimately redeemable? Because I don't get how this can be redeemable. It just hurts. It's just ugly. Do we go to him for wisdom? I think this is a huge thing for us when we face trials. Because most of the time when we face them, we don't get it. We don't understand. And James is saying, listen, when those come, if you lack wisdom, let him ask God. He gives generously, without reproach. He's going to give you that wisdom. He's going to help you to see. Sometimes we might even need to see that our suffering, our trial, is a consequence of our own sin. So that the Lord can pull us out of that, can teach us and grow us and lead us to repentance. But look what James goes on to say. He says, let him ask in what? Faith. With no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. You see, for us to change, not only do we need wisdom, but we need to have our mistrust turn to trust. You know, you cannot ask for wisdom and hold to your doubt that God cares about you. 
You can't ask for his wisdom and hold to your doubt that God has a purpose. You can't ask for his wisdom and hold to the doubt that he doesn't have the ability to redeem. You can't hold on to your doubt that that he can't turn beauty from ashes. If your leading thought when trial comes, any trial that you're facing, any trial that you have faced or that you will face, if your leading thought is that God isn't good or God doesn't care or I'm not good enough, that doubt will make you unstable. And even if you ask for wisdom to come, you won't hear it because you can't believe it even if he gives it. So again, let me, let me give you an analogy, an analogy for this. Right? If I take my child into the doctor to get a shot, and my child is st- starts off with the frustration or the belief that I can't be trusted, that I don't care for him, that I don't love him, that I'm not seeking to do good to him, that when that shot goes into his arm and he begins to scream and feel the pain and say, why are you doing this to me? Tell me, tell me, tell me. It doesn't make any difference if I say, son, the reason I'm doing this is because I want to protect you from this disease. He's not going to hear it because he doesn't believe me. He doesn't trust me. He's already starting from a position where he doesn't believe that I care about him, right? You have to start from a place of trust. You have to start from a place of faith. And it's interesting that James uses the word count it all joy at the very beginning of this text. Count is different than feel. He doesn't say feel joy when you experience trials. He doesn't say, I want you to experience joy when you suffer many trials. He says, I want you to count it joy. In other words, this is, this is what that means, that your leading thought should be that God is good, God is changing me, God has an eternal intent for this, and a million years from now, I will praise God for this moment. I'm gonna count it joy, even if it doesn't feel like joy. But this starts with trust, which is why trials test our faith. Trials test our faith. They test our trust. Remember I told you about David and how he changed. Well, after this moment where David sees God take vengeance for him and he he doesn't react and and ultimately we see David change and God changed David in the next chapter in 1 Samuel chapter 26, David has the opportunity to kill Saul. Like, God literally puts Saul in David's space and says, hey, you're like, listen, like, here he is. And if you know that story, you know David doesn't kill him. In fact, this is what David says. May my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. What a change in 10 verses. 10 verses before, David was like, I'm killing Nabal. I'm taking him out. And in 10 verses, his greatest enemy is before him, and he says, you know what? I'm going to trust the Lord that he would deliver me out of tribulation. His situation hadn't changed. His circumstance hadn't changed. David wasn't in the palace yet. That's not the reality here. He just changed. He began to trust that God was for him, not against him. He began to push against his doubt and believe that God would be the one who would deliver him. And he didn't have to take it into his own hands. So so here's the question for you. 
Are you holding on to your mistrust and your doubt in God in the midst of your trial? Is part of the reason you're struggling to let go of trials or let God take trials that you've experienced in your past, like, like part of the reason that you're struggling with that because you're struggling to trust God in that? Are you starting to trust that God is the one who will deliver you out of tribulation, that you don't have to do that? See, to find freedom from these things, to find life of freedom where we're changed and we're made new, like, like, we not only need wisdom, but we need to see our mistrust of God shift to trust in God, our faith in God. And that's hard enough, but it gets even more challenging, doesn't it? Because even if you seek his wisdom, and even if you seek to trust him in everything, we also have to surrender and relinquish. I think this is the absolute hardest thing for us to do. There's so much promise for us if we do it, but it is so hard. I marvel at David's ability to surrender and relinquish justice into the hands of God when this man had wronged him so much. And don't get me wrong, David didn't go back into Saul's palace so Saul could keep throwing spears at him. Like David wasn't foolish to do that. David separated himself from Saul, but he, he still trusted and he surrendered it and he didn't hold anger and bitterness to Saul in this process. Like he surrendered it. He relinquished it. He committed Saul to the Lord. You give me justice. You be the one who takes care of this challenge. So often when trial comes, when it finds us, we feel we've got to find someone to blame, don't we? And who's to blame? There's got to be someone. Someone's fault. They did this. It's their reason. I'm hurt because of them. And we want retribution on those people, and we hold on to that. Or we start to think, man, like everybody's like this, so I can't trust anybody. Like everybody's going to ultimately be like this to me. And if you can't find a villain and if you can't find someone else to blame, what's the next thing that we tend to do? We start to blame God. You did this to me. You let this happen. You allowed this difficult thing to take place in my life. And listen, when that kind of thing starts to come against God in the book of Job, what's God's response? Will you put me in the wrong Will you condemn me that you might be in the right? See, for us to allow God to completely work, for him to move us from one degree to the next degree, we have to relinquish our anger, our demand for justice. We've got to relinquish. Listen, that doesn't mean you can't cry out to the Lord for justice. It just means you give up your right to demand it or your right to carry it out yourself. You have to surrender it to the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, I give it to you. You have to surrender it to the Lord and say, like, I I'm not going to hold on to this anymore. You have to release it. You have to say, man, Lord, help me enter into the sufferings of Jesus so that I can be more like him. And then instead of being at the mercy of our circumstances, being at the mercy of what it was that happened to you, you get to put yourself into the merciful hands of Jesus. Some brothers and sisters, there's freedom for us in this. Part of this relinquishing and surrendering 
is not just the trials that will come, but it's also relinquishing and surrendering your past. Because like I said, without Jesus, we're simply shaped by our circumstances. And oftentimes these things happen to us before we were ever in his care. And we have to trust him to be able to take those things and use them for our good and for his glory. For many people, they'll trust Jesus with their salvation, but they struggle to trust him with the history of their pain. And there's people in this space right now that feel that way. Like you'll trust Jesus to take care of your sins, but man, like that hurt that's back there, that's so shaped the way you see yourself, like man, you're gonna hold on to that because you just don't know what life could be like without it. Like it literally has changed the way you view everything. I can't trust men because look what men did to me. I can't trust a spouse because look what my wife did to me. I look in the mirror and I see someone who's never good enough or never attractive enough because that high school student, when I was 16 year old, called me fat. And we love to say, sticks and stones will break my bones, but man, words are way more painful, aren't they? Like those are trials, those are wounds in us, and they change us, and they transform the way we view the world around us. They transform the way we view ourselves. And you gotta be able to let that go and give it back to the Lord. As long as we hold on to these things, as long as we hold on to the pain and the suffering and the, and the, the, the desire for retribution, as long as we hold on to the belief that, man, everybody's going to be this way, we're going to continue to struggle with addictions that come out of that. We're going to continue to struggle with feelings like failure, not being good enough. We're going to feel like nobody's ever safe. Remember to love or to be loved by. We're going to struggle. We're going to struggle to value Find our value in something besides men's praise. And you won't be able to let him reinterpret those things and help use them for his glory. Instead, we keep it in the dark. We hold on to the shame. We hold on to the hurt. We hold on to the, the distrust. Brothers and sisters, bringing those things into light in the church is this one step towards trusting the Lord is able to redeem the worst trial the worst trial. And here's the thing, none of us like to go back in our lives and dig up that pain. That stuff's nasty, and it hurts, and it's changed you. But listen, and I can tell you this from someone who's begun to find victory in some of these things, and I say begun because it doesn't happen overnight, like it's a process, day after day after day, like there's, there's victory to be had for you. Like, like you don't have to be the, the one who's never good enough because the gospel tells you the king of the universe saw you, made you, and died for you. You don't have to be the one who, who ha has to um, protect yourself because no one else was ever there to protect you. Because in the gospel tells you that you can lay that and give it to the hands of Jesus and let him be the one who protects you moving forward. You, you, don't, you, you don't have to be the person who says, I can't trust anybody because everybody I've ever gotten close to has hurt me and betrayed me and caused pain to me. And so, man, I gotta keep this wall up. The gospel says you can break that wall down and let one who is always trustworthy 
care for your soul? Do you see the redemption that Jesus wants to do? But you have to ask him for wisdom. You have to trust him. And you have to relinquish and surrender those things in your life. You cannot continue to hold on to them. The longer you hold on to them, the more you will be enslaved by them. But the gospel tells us there's hope for us. Hope that by trusting him, even those hurts and pains can be made new. And we can find victory. We can find change. So, as we close our time this morning, here's what I want to ask. I want to talk to two different groups of people. I want to talk to you as believers. If you're a believer in this space this morning, I mean, you, you look at this and, and you are like, man, that's me. Like in the midst of really hard moments of my life, maybe you're in the midst of one right now, and maybe you're experiencing or you've allowed experiences of your life shape you and form you and your relationships in your past, and, and you're like, man, that's 100% me, and I struggle to ask God for wisdom. I struggle to trust God. Like, I doubt him, and so, man, I feel like a wave constantly tossed to and fro. Like, you just feel that deep in your soul, and you're like, man, I know I need to surrender, but I do not know how. Listen, this morning, I want to provide you an opportunity, and it's not going to be a comfortable one, right? Because you know what? Change never happens if you stay in comfort. Let me just, change will never happen if you stay in comfort. And so here's what I would ask, that we're going to sing a song here in a minute, and as we sing, I would just ask you to listen to the Holy Spirit. And if you um, feel like there's one of those things in your life, man, like you're struggling to ask him for wisdom, you're struggling to trust in him, or you're struggling to relinquish or surrender something to him, at the end of that song, when we're done, right, so you don't have to come up in the front of everybody, but at the end of the song, I'm going to invite you to come up and talk to one of our prayer counselors, elders, or pastors. Let us pray for you. We want to help walk you through that process of relinquishing and letting those things go, praying over you, because you can walk away from this place like free. That doesn't mean that everything gets fixed today, but it does mean you can start the journey today. And so, so I want to invite that to you. And, and here's the other person I want to talk to. If you're here this morning man, and you don't know Jesus, let me just tell you, you have no hope that the trials that you have experienced in your life, and I am not diminishing them, the painful, hurtful, awful things that have happened in your life, like the only person in your life that can take those and redeem them is you, and you're never gonna be able to do it. And my guess is you're already experiencing that, that it's causing wreckage and damage in your relationships, in the way you view the people around you, in the way you know how to work. It's, it's causing wreckage and addictions and things you run to to try to find solace. You cannot redeem those things, but Jesus can. And he is offering to do it for you. Just like we prayed over Brygen this morning, like he is able to make you a new creation, a redeemed man or woman. And to take all that yuck and all that nasty stuff and all those hurts and those wounds and slowly 
work in you a newness of life and a newness of creation. And I know there's a lot of people here that would testify to God's availability to do that. And he's calling you to do that. And so when we sing, if you feel the spirit of God like calling you to do that, like we're going to offer an opportunity for you to come and respond. And so my, my prayer is that in the next couple of moments, the spirit of God would just work in your heart that he would just work in your heart. And maybe God has already done this in you and you found restoration and you found the ability to count it joy when you meet trials of all kinds. Guess what? You get to support and love and minister to people around you. You still have a calling. So pray with me and then we're gonna sing. Father, I, I wanna invite your spirit to us. Father, in a room this size with this many people, I cannot even begin to imagine the wounds, the hurts, circumstances, the feelings inside of us, but Lord, you see every single one of them. You see it in every single person in this room. And, and you're telling us, like, you, you care for that. And Lord, I, I want to pray, Lord, right now for my brothers and sisters, those that have, they've already put their faith in you. But Lord, they've got something that they struggle to relinquish. They struggle to surrender. And so, man, that's, that's affecting their lives. They're, they're walking in a deformation that you did not intend for them. Father, they, they just lack wisdom. They're like, I don't understand. This just feels like pain to me and I don't get it. They're, they're struggling to doubt you. Lord, I want to pray by your spirit this morning that you would encourage their hearts. Lord, even give them the boldness to take a step of faith later this morning. To walk with a brother and sister in Christ, to have them pray over them, be a support to them because left in the darkness, these things will continue to rot away at us. You call us to let them go. There is no shame. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Only, only freedom, only the promise of deliverance, only the promise of healing. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would encourage your people. And, Lord, now I pray for those that are here that don't know you. Lord, I pray that you would turn their eyes to you. And even as we sing this song, Lord, you would put a weight upon their hearts and their souls to see they cannot fix the trials of their life, but you can. They, they cannot fix the sins, that, the, the consequences of the sins in their own life. They can't fix the consequences of sins from other people, but you can redeem it all. And I pray, Lord, that you would just call them to yourself this morning and that you'd give them a boldness to step out. And so I just pray your spirit that you would just work in us. That you would help us to respond however it is we need to this morning. Just pray and ask these things in your name.